Welcome to Warning Bells. Hello, everybody. Ed Pearson here. It's been a while since our last Warning Bells podcast. For this episode and for the first time, I'm not going to have a guest. I'm going to fly solo, so please bear with me. Before I get started, I just want to say that we're all so thankful that no one died during the January 5th Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 accident. The blowout of that door plug could have resulted in many fatalities and perhaps the loss of the entire plane. This was an extremely traumatic event for the passengers and the crew, and it should never have happened. I've heard from government officials that they're referring to this as a rapid decompression event, but in the military, we called it an explosive decompression because it happens violently and suddenly. Passengers from all over the world were shocked by what happened, and many of the reporters have asked me if I was shocked. And for those of you who know, we've been closely monitoring this plane for several years now, but it wasn't a surprise at all. I'm referring to an aviation advocacy team that includes a group of industry professionals, victim family members, and members of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. The Foundation for Aviation Safety's mission is to improve public safety by closely monitoring the aviation industry and the government agencies responsible for regulating that industry. We're proud to serve as a leading aviation watchdog, and we will continue to take action on various problems impacting aviation safety, including ineffective government. As you know, we've been expressing concerns about the manufacturing quality control issues for some time. And just in the last month, we've seen at least four or five serious incidents involving the other 737 MAX model, the 737-8. And this has included a couple engine anti-ice system failures that required emergency descents. It included a stab trim electrical system failure, an engine compressor stall on takeoff. And just a couple months ago, there was a United airplane that had an engine failure at 37,000 feet. And that airplane had only had 40 hours total time on it, which kind of reminds us of the plane that took off out of Phoenix last year where they had a failure of this electrical stab trim system and the pilots had to come back and do, you know, come back and land right away. And that plane had been delivered the night before by Boeing. And another incident that I can remember that happened that was a pretty dramatic incident. There was a Max airplane taken off out of Denver a couple months back. And right before they were to take off, the tower noticed that there was a fire under the engine. Fortunately, an alert air traffic controller radioed the flight crew just before it was about to take off. So what does this all say about manufacturing quality and where we're at right now with the Boeing company and also the FAA? You know, we heard after the first crash from Boeing and the FAA that the plane was safe and people could confidently fly those planes. And we heard similar promises after the second crash. And then we heard them again when the plane was grounded. And then again, 18 months later when it was recertified. And then it was grounded again because of electrical problems. And now we have this Alaska Airlines accident. And, you know, all these promises have been made about the safety and the focus on quality. And for the last couple of years, we've been reading all this. We've been reporting on the incidents. We've been reporting on the engineering exemptions. What it really comes down to is that the words from um, Boeing senior leadership are really worthless. Like, they don't mean anything. We can't trust it. And I just want people to understand that just because that Alaska Airlines airplane has been patched up and other 737-9 airplanes have been patched up doesn't mean we believe these airplanes are safe, not by a long shot. 
There's a routine accident causation technique that's called the five whys. It's also used in manufacturing. You know, why did the door plug fly off the plane? Well, because some bolts are missing, maybe. Why were the bolts missing? Well, some manufacturing employees forgot it. Why did the employees forget it? Well, they forgot to fill out the paperwork. Why didn't they fill out the paperwork? Well, because they were rushed. Why were they rushed? They were trying to meet delivery, so they were moving parts from one plane to the next. Why were they doing that? Well, because there was a pressure to get the deliveries out. You know, you get the point. And ultimately, this is going to lead back to senior leadership in the company pressuring manufacturing employees to get planes out the door. And in the course of doing that, shortcuts are taken, dangerous shortcuts. Now, there are over 1,300 MAX airplanes around the world operating and roughly 500 in the United States. And it isn't just these issues that I'm talking about with the safety incidents. You know, there's been over 20 serious production quality defects that have come to light. And I'm talking about recently, you know, we've heard rudders that are missing hardware, vertical fins that cracks in their fittings, thousands of potentially misdrilled holes, improper electrical bonding and grounding that can affect the pilot displays. Unfortunately, I could go on and on. And incredibly, in light of all this, Boeing continues to claim that the MAX airplanes are 100% safe. And the FAA Administrator Whitaker, who is new to the FAA, said the same thing to Congress just a couple days ago. Now, I don't know what all of you are thinking about right now, but what I'm thinking is there's talk and then there's action. And it's extremely frustrating to know that people are putting their families, their loved ones, kids on these planes. And we rush this plane back into service with the only thing we have from that is an NTSB report that came out, the preliminary report. There was one particular sentence on that report that really got my attention. And I wanted to read it to you guys. I'm actually going through the report right here. But the report on page 17 says, the investigation continues to determine what manufacturing documents were used to authorize the opening and closing of the left mid-exit door plug during the rework. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with aircraft manufacturing record keeping, let me tell you that all these records, they're electronic. So any removals of parts, anything that's causing problems in the factory is supposed to be documented, it's supposed to be entered into the system. So here we are over a month after this accident occurs. And according to the NTSB, they're still trying to determine what the manufacturing documents were used to authorize the opening and closing of that door plug. And you have to ask yourself, hold on a second. These records are immediately available to Boeing employees. You push a button and they come out the printer. And for the NTSB to be a month into this investigation and not be able to say definitively that these records were done properly or done at all. It's really concerning because this harkens back to the fact that the NTSB never looked at the production records for the two planes that crashed in 2018 and 2019. You know, on this podcast, we've had some guests that have talked to us about the removal of quality control inspections with the goal of expediting production. I know this is hard to believe, and I just want to clarify this because a lot of people have asked this question. When I said that thousands of quality control inspections were being removed on Boeing aircraft, I wasn't talking about the entire fleet of airplanes. I was talking about individual airplanes. Yes, thousands of human inspections were being removed or have been removed on individual airplanes. And the idea of removing inspections after 346 people died, after more than a $20 billion loss to the company, 
after 18-month comprehensive recertification, after criminal charges being placed against the company, the company removes quality control inspections, large, large numbers of them. They also, by the way, laid off, as we heard from, I think it was Mike Mosley, one of our guests, they laid off 900 highly qualified quality control inspectors. You know, you just can't go out and hire somebody at a college and omni-omni make them a highly qualified quality control inspector. These individuals took many years to get to their level of expertise. And, you know, what I'm trying to speak to is there are individuals that are the backbone of the Boeing company. And those are the individuals that are actually working in the factory, making these products, inspecting these products, testing these products, making them sure they're perfect. And there's been decisions made at the corporate level, which tells me they really don't value the individuals on the front lines, despite their broken promises. And you have this, we'll come out now to the factory, we being the CEO, we'll come out to visit the factory, make a big deal, you know, that we're, you know, safety's job one and all that. But again, it gets back to deeds. And I also want to say that in addition to Boeing and the FAA, the airlines have responsibilities here too. They need to put their foot down. They need to man the airplanes that are coming to them or coming to them in the highest possible quality. Our foundation did a report. We found that Alaska Airlines, not to beat up Alaska because actually they're an airline that I fly regularly, but I don't fly the MAX planes, but that airline had over 1,200 reports, aircraft system malfunctions on 53 aircraft in a two-year period of time. This is all documented in the FAA's very unuser-friendly service difficulty reporting database. And I sent the CEO of Alaska a letter in April telling him that we were looking at his airplanes and we were seeing all these production quality defects, all this evidence of defects, new brand new planes, not having door plug issues, but having aircraft system problems, you know, regular failures of of flight management computers, autopilot, autothrottle issues, engine anti-icing, wing anti-icing, et cetera. And I recommended that he, he shut down those planes until he could get to the bottom of it. And, and he just ignored the letter and he ignored the report. And so the airlines have a responsibility to their customers. They're the ones that are you're paying and they're the ones that are taking you from point A to point B. We all know that the pilots, they're highly trained. I've never met a pilot in my entire life that if you said, hey, you're going to have this emergency, can you handle it? And, and almost invariably, the answer is, of course, I'll break out my checklist. I'll work with my team and we'll deal with it. And that's the kind of mindset you expect. But when you have the potential for multiple emergencies happening at the same time, there's a cumulative effect that can occur that can cause a flight crew to get saturated and overloaded. And when you add other factors that are outside their control, perhaps weather or busy air traffic control, nighttime flying, you add these other factors in, you know, the fact this is probably the first time the the two pilots have actually flown together. You add all that together and that's a recipe for disaster. So anybody that takes these aircraft systems reports and says, ah, no big deal, it happens. Well, there was a couple pressurization issues that occurred apparently before it had to blow out. So if we don't take these incidents seriously and do what the law says, which is investigate them, the FAA is supposed to investigate these things, identify the root causes, and fix them. And we're seeing lots of recurring issues with these planes. Now, when you add the fact that you have this latest accident, you have the two fatal crashes, you have evidence of production quality defects 
unfortunately, large numbers of them. You have engineering exemptions, and we're just now finding out stuff like the engine anti-system doesn't comply. We're actually meeting with the head of the FAA in March and also with the Department of Transportation, and we're going to go in and try to give recommendations. We hope they listen to what we're saying. But you have to understand when you hear the FAA say we're going to send 20 people into the factory and we're going to do an audit and, well, that sounds great, but those 20 people have to be trained. This is a really, really complicated facility. You know, you just can't bring a person in there that doesn't have any understanding of how the planes are supposed to be built and expect them to do an effective audit. They require a lot of training. And 20 people is really just a minute number of people. It really is. I mean, again, these are gigantic facilities. Having thousands of employees working three shifts. And again, right down the street, 2,500 FAA employees at the SeaTac Northwest headquarters. And yet the FAA feels that 20 people going in now is enough to make a difference. Now, I was talking about the airlines. You know, the airlines have an incredible strength that they can leverage. They could just say, we're not taking any more of these deliveries. We don't believe your quality is what it needs to be. And we're not going to take these deliveries. And that's going to force the company to have to say, well, we have a choice. We can keep pumping out new planes that aren't going to be taken by our customers, or we can stop, slow down, figure out what the hell's going on and fix it. And I also want to say, because I've done lots of research on this, that there's all kinds of evidence in my mind that these airplanes have electrical defects in them, electrical wiring interconnect system. We're seeing all the classic signs, multiple systems turning from on to off, intermittent failures, maintenance personnel unable to troubleshoot or to duplicate, resulting in no fault found troubleshooting determinations. And, you know, after the planes were ungrounded in 20, late 2020 and 21, just a few months later, if you guys recall, there was an airworthiness directive that came out that said that the plane had electrical bonding and grounding issues. And it actually happened again in 2023. So anyhow... I just want everybody to, to recognize that this is such an important moment in time. These are really complex issues. There's no single quick solution. I've personally advocated for the removal of the board of directors and the C-suite. And I ask each one of them to be honest and just ask themselves, you know, how many times in 2023 did I actually go out to a factory at, on the Boeing company and talk with the people that are making these products and find out what the issues they're having with parts, with quality control, with supervision, with training. And I think they have to be honest with themselves. If they can't say that they've spent a lot of time out there, then maybe they're not the right people for the job. And in between the board of directors and the C-suite, in between them and the frontline employees, there's a lot of senior managers and executives that have to ask themselves the same question. What am I doing to improve the quality of these airplanes? Or am I just participating in this effort to push these planes out the door as fast as possible? Shame on us, all of us, if we think that patching this airplane up and saying that it was four bolts that were missing and taking photos in front of Bob, the physics teacher, it could have been a body on the ground in that man's yard. Shame on us if we think that the problems have been addressed. There's so much more that we can do and we need to. 346 people already died. Their families and all the families that put people on airplanes deserve a thorough investigation. The NTSB came out and Boeing and the FAA all came out and said that the plane wasn't going to fly until they were confident they knew what happened. And here we are, 
just a couple weeks later with a preliminary report that's incomplete. All we know is that there was rivets that were broken when they, the fuselage showed up and there was a decision to repair those rivets. And in the course of doing that, four bolts were left off these, this door. But again, as I've tried to say, there was so much more to this than that mistake. And we need to get to the bottom of it and we need to do it quickly. When are we going to learn? When are we going to be proactive? All the steps that are being taken are reactive. The CEO coming out to the factory, making a big deal of it, assigning an individual to serve as an outside auditor, a single person, the FAA deploying you know, 20 people into the factory. There's so much more that can be done here. There's training that needs to occur. I've been told recently that the employees that work in the factory, at the 737 factory, that large numbers of them do not have all their required training. I know we're bringing in new people. There's been thousands of new employees that have come in. We've lost a lot of talent. We've lost a lot of talent. And to think that we can just bring in even a highly motivated college student graduate or a high school graduate and replace somebody that's been there 20 or 30 years, that's, that's foolish. So we need, to, we need to appropriately slow down, stop talking about how many planes we're going to deliver to Wall Street. Stop making that the discussion item. Make the discussion item you know, every single plane, highest possible quality. And, you know, the company, this is all doable. This, the company has been d- building incredible products for over 100 years. The people are completely capable. The people at the FA are completely capable. They don't need to go hire an outside consultant like MITRE or bring in an outside third party. I bet they could go out and probably recruit recently retired Boeing employees who have expertise and they could turn them into inspectors and have them in the facility not to be police officers, but to be present and to be in the, in the facility with the adequate number so that the employees know the FAA is in the house. And the FAA will get immense benefit from that because in a short amount of time, if those employees that are in there in the facility representing the FAA as FAA employees, if those employees will start to cross train, this is one of the recommendations that we're going to give to the FAA leadership is that you know, put 100 people in that factory. Don't put 20. Put 100 in there. You'll have one on every shift at every flow day, and you'll have about 10 left over for, you know, people being on sick leave, et cetera. And then I think you're going to see that over a course of a year or two, those 100 employees, if they're properly trained and they're properly cross-trained, they're going to have an incredible amount of knowledge that they're going to gain. And they're going to be in the facility, not doing the work of the Boeing quality inspectors. That hole needs to be filled with high-quality people but they're going to be there representing all the people out there that get on these planes and their interests, not the interests of the corporation. So I'm just going to leave this and let you know that ultimately, all of you have the most power and you can vote with your feet. I'm telling people and my family and my friends not to fly the 737-8 and 737-9 MAX airplanes. It pains me to say this as a retiree from the Boeing company that I can't trust these planes because I've seen the pressure that employees have been put under to build these planes. And I've seen the shortcuts that have been taken. And I see the incident data, their quality defects, these last minute engineering exemptions, all these broken promises. And you can decide not to fly these planes. I know that's not easy. I've had many people say, you know, I scheduled my flight 
to avoid a max. I got to the airport and they swapped gates or they swapped the airplanes. And the next thing you know, I was on a max airplane. Happened to my own daughter. Happened to her twice. She travels quite a bit. And two times she was thinking she was getting on a non-max airplane. And she found out as the plane was taxiing that she was on a max plane. It happened to me. I was taking a flight, an Alaska flight, as a matter of fact, from SeaTac to New Jersey last year. And I scheduled myself to avoid it. I know how to look up the plane numbers and, and, and do all that. And I was the second to last person to get on the plane. And I sat down and I looked up at my straight ahead of me in the emergency card and it said 737 MAX. So I sat there and thought, what the hell am I going to do? I got up, grabbed my bag, walked off the plane. Flight attendant rightfully stopped me. She was closing the front hatch, the entrance door. Said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting off this plane. Why are you getting off the plane, sir? Well, this is a max. I wasn't planning on flying a max. I didn't want to make a scene. She's just trying to do her job. She said, what do you know about the max? <laughs> and I, I tried to be respectful and say, I really don't have time, unfortunately, to go into it. But I just don't think this plane is safe and I, I don't want to fly it. And I got off of it and they let me off. Walked up the gateway. Another agent who's doing her job, she stopped me and said, what are you doing getting off the plane? That's unusual. And she asked if I could wait till her supervisor got there and security and all that, which again, they're doing their job. And yeah. And I, I told them, if you want to know more, you can read some of the stories or watch the documentaries like flight risk or downfall or whatever. Again, this all comes down to leadership and ethics, communication, priorities, quality, all of it. No simple solution. Thanks for listening.